Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more and give them a call by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, will be with us, as well as Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. His latest book is called No Problem, a really interesting, fun read of happening in Washington, D.C. murder mystery. It is April the 11th, and on this day in 1814, Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of France and one of the greatest military leaders in history, abdicated the throne, and the Treaty of Fontainebleau was banished to the Mediterranean island of Elba. The future emperor was born in uh, Corsica on August the 15th, 1769. After attending military school, he fought during the French Revolution of 1789 and rapidly rose through the military ranks, leading French troops in a number of successful campaigns throughout Europe in the late 1700s. By 1799, he'd established himself as a top of the military dictatorship. In 1804, he became emperor of France and continued to consolidate power through his military campaigns, so that by 1810, much of Europe came under his rule. Although Napoleon developed a reputation of being power-hungry and insecure, he's also credited with enacting a series of important political and social reforms that had a lasting impact on European society, including judicial systems, constitutions, voting rights for men, and, all <clears throat> and the end of feudalism. Additionally, he supported education, science, and literature. His Code Napoleon, which uh, codified or codified key uh, freedoms during the French Revolution, such as uh, religious tolerance, remains the foundation of French civil law. In 1812, thinking that Russia was plotting an alliance with England, Napoleon launched an invasion against the Russians that eventually ended with his troops retreating from Moscow and much of uh, Europe uniting against him. In 1814, Napoleon's uh, broken forces gave up and Napoleon offered to step down in favor of his son. When this offer was rejected, uh, he escaped uh, his island exile and returned in Paris where he regained supporters and reclaimed his emperor's title, Napoleon I, in a period known as the Hundred Days. However, in June 1815, he was defeated at the bloody Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon's uh, defeat ultimately signaled the end of France's domination of, the, uh, of Europe. He abdicated for a second time and was exiled to the remote island of St. Helena in southern Atlantic Ocean, where he lived out the rest of his days. He died at age 52 uh, in 1821, possibly from stomach cancer, although some theories suggest he was poisoned. <clears throat> Napoleon Bonaparte. Well, number one golfer Scotty Scheffler won his first major win by winning the Masters yesterday after leading the pack since Friday. He started the day at 9-under and finished at 10-under, beating Roy McIlroy. <laughs> by the way, triple, he uh, three-putted on the final green. Probably pretty excited at the time, but he beat McIlroy by three strokes. 
McElroy had an 8-under 64 yesterday, tied for the best round in Masters history. Tiger Woods was so inspirational. He fell back to earth after a 78 on Saturday, his worst round ever is in the Masters. He matched it on Sunday. He was struggling there at the end, walking up the 18th green. You could see there was a real hitch in his giddy-up as he was trying to get up the green, up the uh, fairway. Uh, but he was you could see the gratitude in his eyes for the reception that he received from all the patrons at the, major, at the uh, Masters. Cameron Smith, who was in the final pairing, finished tied for third at 5-under with Shane Lowry. It was a great tournament. And the story has it that Scotty Scheffler apparently was so nervous he was actually crying with his wife the morning before yesterday before going out to, uh, to play. <clears throat> the pressure he must have been under. But if you can imagine, this is his fifth win. He's won five uh, tournaments, including this major, the Masters, and he's at age 25, if you can imagine that. What a great future Scotty Scheffler has. A nice, great young man. Or Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is the number one fundraiser in state politics in the 2022 cycle so far. According to the most recent campaign finance reports made to the Florida Secretary of State, the governor's raised $109 million $869,000 in total contributions and spent $13,700,000 between January 1st and December 31st, 2021. DeSantis is running for re-election in 2022, of course. Uh, he's uh, resumed office in 2019. Of the $109 million uh, already reported in 2022, 14.3% uh, came from his top 10 donors. Congratulations, Governor DeSantis. I think this kind of sets the pins for another victory in 2022 as governor. We certainly hope so. He also received a roaring welcome as he arrived at the UFC 273 Saturday night in Jacksonville, high-fiving people as he walked to his seat in the championship style that resembled the popularity of a presidential candidate. He sat cage-side next to the UFC president, Dana White, during the event and was shown on Jumbotron flashing a smile and two thumbs up as the crowd cheered Saturday night in Jacksonville. Congratulations, Governor. Popularity is uh, through the roof. A lot of people don't like uh, Governor DeSantis because, well, they would prefer to be masked up and locked down and prefer uh, a different style of big government, not the style that DeSantis brings, which is basically extremely temperate and uh, well-placed. Several ports of entry between Texas and Mexico have suffered major slowdowns in recent days as the Texas Department of Safety, Public Safety began inspections at this part of Governor Greg Abbott's border security plan. The officers have conducted enhanced commercial vehicle safety inspections since April the 6th at seven ports of entry, Brownsville, Los Indios, Far Laredo, Eagle Pass, Del Rio, and El Paso, Texas has 28 land ports of entry within Mexico. Significant slowdowns were recorded at the Far Reosa International Bridge, where the waiting time increased up to four hours, according to real-time data. Uh, wait time is recorded from uh, when a vehicle passes the Mexican toll gate until it clears U.S. Customs. The DPS uh, inspections are occurring on state roads just beyond the port of entry, which backs up the line into Mexico. By the end of the day, uh, April 9th, DPS had inspected 2,390 commercial vehicles, of which 552 were placed out of service for serious safety violations to include defective brakes, defective tires, and defective lighting. 
Also, 73 commercial vehicles <clears throat> drivers were placed out of service. Total number of violations detected thus far is 8,244. DPS also said that uh, how long it intends didn't hasn't said how long it intends to continue with the inspections. Mexico is Texas' top trading partner with 888.5 billion dollars worth of goods flowing both ways across Texas-Mexico border uh, annually. It's kind of like a Mexican standoff," said Todd Benzman, National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. I don't think there's any doubt, but that it's causing pain and it's going to cause more pain. So it's anybody's guess what's going to happen, Benzman said. He suggested that possible outcomes, one, Abbott will uh, relent and stop the inspections. Probably not the case. Number two, the Biden administration will sue the Texas government to stop the inspections. That could take a long time. Or three, Mexico will decide to enforce its own borders from illegal immigrants, much like it did when imposed in 2019 when Trump threatened to impose tariffs. So uh, dealing with immigration, illegal immigration, is an expensive, time-consuming proposition for Mexicans. It's not normally in their interest to do it, Benzman said. One way or another, if Texas keeps this going for another week, the presidents of both countries will have have no choice but to get involved. Abbott directed the DPS to start conducting the inspections in a letter to the agency's director, Stephen McCraw, on April the 6th. As you explained, the cartels that smuggle illicit contraband and people across our southern border do not care about the condition of the vehicles they send into Texas any more than they care about who overdoses from the deadly fentanyl on board, Abbott wrote. In response to this threat, which is projected to grow into the coming months, I hereby direct the DPS to conduct enhanced safety inspections of vehicles as they cross international ports of entry into Texas. He made the announcement several days after the Biden administration said it intends to end the Title 42 pandemic-related expulsions at the border. The Biden administration's open border policies have paved the way for dangerous cartels and deadly drugs to pour into the United States, and this crisis will only be made worse by ending Title 42 expulsions, said the governor. Border Patrol agents are preparing to process up to 18,000 illegal immigrants per day along the southwest border once Title 42 ends. In the past months, 1 million illegal immigrants from 157 countries have been apprehended at the southern border, according to the Border Patrol Chief Raul uh, Ortiz. Incredible story. So it looks like there's, a, as they call it, a Mexican standoff right now. Uh, I'm hopeful that Abbott will win. But we certainly appreciate here all over the United States the efforts he's making in order to slow the immigration into the United States, illegal immigration into the United States. Well, Elon Musk has decided he will not join the board of Twitter in a dramatic about-face after becoming the social media giant's biggest shareholder. Musk, who disclosed a 9.2% stake in Twitter just a few days ago, was offered a board seat on Tuesday, and his appointment was to become effective on Saturday. But the CEO announced on Sunday that Musk has decided not to to take up the seat. Elon Musk shared this this morning that he will no longer be joining the board, said the CEO, adding that he thought it was for the best. Uh, The usually vocal Musk has not commented on his decision, but early morning he tweeted an emoji of a smiling face with a hand over its mouth, supposedly an expression of rapture, a smirk, a shy smile, or indicating happiness. He then deleted it. Uh, Twitter CEO also said he did not reveal the reason behind his surprising decision. 
The board and I have made discussions about Elon joining the board with uh, Elon directly, said the CEO. We are excited to collaborate and clear about the, about the risks. We also believe that uh, having Elon as a fiduciary of the company where he, like all board members, has to act in the best interest of the company and our shareholders was the best path forward. The board offered him a seat. Yet Musk then changed his mind amid days spent posting a flurry of tweets suggesting that changing changes to Twitter and conducting online polls, some serious yet seemingly in jest. <clears throat> Had he taken a board seat, he would have been limited to how much company shares he could own with a 14.9% cap. Musk could now remain a, pa- could, uh, could remain a passive investor or, and this is my prediction, plan a hostile takeover of the company. Elon Musk, such an interesting guy. Very rich, the richest man on planet Earth and uh, taking a stand on some very important issues, including the uh, public square of social media. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Johnson's Air Conditioning, our Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you could get tickets now. Invisible Hand is running through the 16th, and you could get tickets at gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of a multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you'll check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Point out to our listeners that you are in Tel Aviv right now, and uh, there was a terrorist attack, or at least concerns about terror attacks in Israel. Can you give us an update? Sure. There was a terror attack here in Tel Aviv on Thursday night. Uh, I was walking home from somewhere and beat my son at a corner, and suddenly I got a notification that there was uh, an attack. Um, within seconds, I was on a main street, just loads and loads of ambulances and police vehicles just came pouring through, hmm. heading in the direction. Um, my daughter, who, who I was out that night was a little bit concerned about, and she texted me wanting to first, first know it was something happening on Diesengloss Street. That's one of the main streets. That's where it was happening, and then I asked where she was, and she was very far away, so that was good. All this was taking place about a mile from my house, give or take, and a terrorist um, came, approached a bar, and just started shooting people, mm. and then he escaped. Um, three people were killed. And about eight, seven or eight were wounded. And, you know, compared to American shootings these days, it's not a lot, I guess. But he only had a pistol. Um, it's a strange situation because the gentleman, the, the, I don't want to call him a gentleman, the terrorist, was affiliated uh, loosely with the, what's called the Islamic Jihad. His uh, family was active in the PLO and other terrorist organizations. He himself, it seems, wasn't that active. But he got involved in the black market for money, and he owed people a lot of money, and they warned they would kill him, and they shot him once in the leg, and ultimately he decided this was his way out, and that's what he ended up doing. He died a few hours later in a gunfight with the police. Um, so, but it can't, the problem of court, and there's always a problem with terror, but this comes after a series of other attacks, um, one in the southern part of the country, uh, one also not far from, from Tel Aviv, and then another one a little bit. So the you know the fact that there were so many of them in a very short period of time, people are, are worried. You could see, I mean, that night they were told by police not to leave your homes and the city completely emptied out. Mm. Um, but since then, less people are on the streets. Not, not none, less. Right. I think every day people start coming back because no one wants the terrorists to win. It sounds like, the, but, though, the, 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 the terrorist attacks are not connected. It sounds like they're... they're uh, separate random you know, events. It's one of these strange things. So they're not connected in the sense there isn't a uh, someone above giving directions, and you know these are all parts of a, a terror cell. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the uh, the amount of hatred and encouragement that's being given, particularly by Hamas, on social networks is very very strong. Mm. And again, we come back to the problem of social networks in the sense that they are. Perfect places for people of the same thoughts to get together and become even more radical. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen, you know, radical things. We've seen QAnon in America, radical to the to the you know beyond the pale to become almost mainstream these days. Yeah. And so this happens way too much. Echo chamber and to the power sense. of um, power of social media to let you hear what you want to hear and the same things you want to hear. 
repeatedly. Yeah. So. Well, I'm happy you're safe. You and your family are safe, and I'm happy to hear that perhaps... Everybody's safe, so it's all good at the moment, and we're not changing our um, our habits in any which way. Um, as a matter of fact, my grandchildren have just joined us. Um, so, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Life has been this way on and off for 100 years in that sense. Um, so people learn how to live with it as best as you can. Right. So let's uh, let's I mean, move to uh, Ukraine, uh, the fog of war in Ukraine, Mark. What are your thoughts? I don't call it fog of war. We have one country committing war crimes, left, right, and center. Yeah. Clearly planned. Clearly part of his part of the plan to begin with. Remove um, Ukrainian, you know, identity. Break the back of the people, and you have another country fighting desperately to defend itself. Very successfully so far. Mm-hmm. Very very successfully. The, Russians have lost phase one of the war, period. There's no there's no fog here. They lost the first phase of the war. Their attempt to capture Kiev, major cities, their assault completely failed. And um, anyone talking about fog of the war, I'm sorry. You know, the people, I'm going to say something you're not going to like. People should not be listening to Tucker Carlson anymore. Talk about, well, why are we listening? Maybe it's not true. The fact is, there's been absolute total war crimes being committed on a... Uh, in a level that we have not seen probably since World War II. We actually, let me rephrase that. We saw it in Syria, we saw it in Chechnya, wherever the Russians have gone, they commit war crimes recently. But this is a, to a whole new level. Well, yeah, to, for me, I, I must say that it just doesn't add up that these Russians who don't have any heart in this in this fight, they end up. They thought they were going on a training mission. They end up in Ukraine. I just, just it doesn't make sense to me that they would go out and try and kill. They don't hate Ukrainians for crying out okay, loud. Okay, but they do. I'm sorry. They first of all, they brought Chechen fighters over who love killing for the killing for the killing's sake. Second of all, anybody once you start. The Ukrainians fought back, and they they killed their own, you know, their friends, their fam, you know, their friends in battle. They killed them. Now they suddenly hate the people because they fought back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fact. There's no ifs, ands, or buts here. You can look about it any which way you want. But there are so many different levels. This has been confirmed. This has been confirmed by independent journalists. This has been confirmed by independent governments. It's been confirmed visually on the ground. It's been confirmed by intercepts of radio communications. It's been confirmed even by what you've seen. The um, Kremlin put out on the goals of the war recently about eliminating uh, all symbols and all people who are supportive of the, of the Ukrainian state. So but anyone talking about questions about this is is just a Kremlin propagandist. Do you well, know how many times every single day? I'm, I'm not a Kremlin. Pro- I'm not a Kremlin propagandist. I'm simply raising questions because of that, like I say, things don't add up. It makes me wonder, perhaps, what role neo Nazis might play in this entire scheme. Neo Nazis? Who neo Nazis? What neo- are we talking about? That's what the Kremlin is talking about. <clears throat> Where are these neo Nazis? They're in uh, Ukraine. No, there are a few. There's a very small group of Ukrainians who are particularly right wing. I'm sorry. This is propaganda. <laughs> I don't understand how you even come up with this. Pro- are hearing this propaganda because you're hearing it from sources that are just uh, are repeating Russian lies. It's been a lie from the very beginning. So how about was everything out of put? What about been a was, lie from the very very beginning? Was it a lie, for example, that there were bio uh, labs in Ukraine where the United States was participating and? In, uh, in, uh, in taking apart what we what existed in the Russian period of time, not not developing bioweapons. 
There were bio labs left over from the Soviet Union, as if they were also, don't forget, the nuclear weapons that the Ukrainians gave up. The United States has been funding efforts to slowly make those places safe and take them apart. So, Mark, I just... this uh, propaganda. Well, this, let's see, when everything is so black and white, it makes me concerned that we end up with something like Iraq uh, back uh, during George H.W. No, Bush. No, we're not talking about Iraq in this case. Uh, but yes, yeah, but, uh, but, the, uh, but the strident uh, narrative, the black and white, and seeing everything as black and white, I think kind of led to where we ended up there. I'm concerned, like I say, I prefer to continue to raise questions about everything that's going on. I think that's the appropriate thing to do. No, it's not at this point. I'm sorry, it's, it, it's not at this point. It's denialism, and it's playing into the hands of, of Russia and the Kremlin. There are no questions here that... that that barbarism, that war crimes have been committed on a regular, you know, not a regular, but well, first of all, the whole war is a war crime. Let's start with that. Yeah. The whole war is one big war crime. The fact that they're completely targeting civilians, I'm not even talking about the, the, the killings of, you know, mass civilians in, in the areas north of Kiev, but the fact that they're firing on civilian targets without any debt discrimination, that is a war crime by all, by all except norms of America, of international agreements at this point. Yep. That is a clear, total war crime. The so, war is a crime, and the fact that they've literally killed women and children, raped people, and of course uh, killed hundreds, if not thousands, of people at this point who are under their control. So, Mark, wh- what, things that, where does the war stand at this point? I mean, what, in terms the of... The war stands that the, that, that, that the Ukrainians have successfully pushed the Russians out of northern Ukraine back to the Belarus border. They now control all the area from Kiev to the Belarus border. The Russians now are trying to come up with some sort of a face-saving victory by trying to conquer the rest of what's called the Donbass region, which is the area that partly was ethnic Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the area in the east. So they're trying to reinforce the eastern part of the country. <coughs> Their forces there. Yeah. They're having a real trouble. They don't have enough troops left. Their army is not big enough. They're talking about drafting people, but that takes a long time. Um, so they may, you know, they may or may not be successful. Hopefully, they won't be successful because the Ukrainians are better fighters than the Russians as so, well. So, where does this leave? Where does this leave Russia on and Putin on the uh, international stage? You know, except for a few people who still are willing to talk to him, it leaves them completely isolated at this point. Totally how about, isolated. How about China? <laughs> China is, doesn't like this either. You know, China doesn't want to be associated with a loser either. Um, China is not, you know, big on being associated with the war crimes in this in this level. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that there isn't, a, you know, under the um, table cooperation to some extent. But this has also made China think three times before thinking about doing anything about Taiwan. Because mm. if the Ukrainians can stop the Russians without... Uh, you know, a 40-mile uh, stretch of oceans between, you know, between the two parties, the Chinese have to be wondering, what about us? Right. Let's so, so, well, let's, I want to come back. I, I want to stress, I, it, it really bothers me the fact that that you have sources of information that are questioning whether this is all things. No, I, I, it's, my, it's my nature to question. I, quite frankly, it, I would question. I don't have sources of information, but I still, I still think everything should be questioned. Every, we shouldn't take things on face value. I just, uh, that's just how I'm wired. Okay, okay listen, it's, it's fine. If I give you a report that X, Y, and Z happens, you don't have to take my report that X, Y, and Z happened. Right. But if it's confirmed by three independent sources, yeah, and... 
then at some point something that becomes true. Or fifty nine, or fifty nine generals. Question, <laughs> you can't, <coughs> excuse me. You can't question everything forever. There are facts. Facts get to get established. Um, sometimes they're false reporting. There's mistaken reporting. There's right. all sorts of mistakes that are often done. But at some point, when enough people confirm it, it becomes a fact. Well, uh, it, I don't know that uh, truth is be, uh, determined by the majority or by... by... No, it's not a majority. It's not a question of majority. It's not a majority rules. We don't all get get to vote on what's true or not. But truth is is determined by reliable reporting of evidence. Okay, and, and who, 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 not, does this, know, who does this re- reliable reporting of evidence? Who does the reporting? Well, let's see, you've got UN representatives, you have human rights representatives, you have U.S. government representatives, you have EU representatives, you have independent media representatives. All of those people are all coming to the same exact conclusion. Then what is the alternative? Because Tucker Carlson says, well, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. Because Russia claims it's not happening. So why why the why the vehemence against Tucker Carlson? I just because he said exactly what he just said, and because he's being used almost every night on Russian television. Oh my goodness! Well, he's being quoted every single night. That's why, because he's bringing up he's he's acting as a tool for them. He's the Tokyo Rose of this war. That's just not the case. That's it's actually funny, Mark. So, uh, you know, uh, if Tucker Carlson I'm exaggerating, obviously for for effect, but but there is a point where where he is clearly being used by the Russians. Well, I mean, we all tend to use things that we find for our favor. So, if he's questioning it, I wouldn't say necessarily he's being uh, somehow manipulated by the Russians. That's certainly not the case. I say the word manipulating. I have absolutely no idea what what is causing Tucker Carlson. Uh, to question. It's probably for his ratings purposes, for being popular, for being no. different. So, him. <laughs> so let's, 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 I think we're at a deadlock here on this discussion. So let's move on to the French elections because that's pretty significant. It is. Uh, again, we've been here before. Uh, the last yeah. two elections have also ended up where it's come down to Marie Le Pen versus Macron. Um, we'll see. I mean, it would be a very disaster if Marie Le Pen won at this point. She's much closer. She's Against sanctions against Russia, she's a, been she's been financed by Putin. Um, for the last two election cycles, she's been financed by Putin, um, and so it could be a very problematic situation. The French are basically, on one hand, voted because they felt that they were being taken, um, uh, that, that Macron was assuming their support and wasn't working for it. And B, a certain level of economic uncertainty and concern of the economy, and of course that always hurts the incumbent in any given in any given race. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent, again, the issue of refugees, although it's become less of a factor in in Europe in the last year or so um, than it was previously. And of course now there are, a lot, there are a lot more refugees coming from Ukraine, but the Ukrainian refugees are much more accepted than the. Um, Arab and African refugees, and that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. So, so that election's um, this week, if I'm not mistaken, April, or is it next month? I've forgotten. But no, it should be just... I think it's in three weeks, two or three weeks, I believe. Yeah, okay. So that's... Should... election, and this has happened before. Um, my guess is Macron will, once again, eke it out, because all those people who are afraid of... Uh, who are afraid of Le Pen, who stayed home and didn't bother voting the first time around, will come out the second time around. 
Interesting. We'll see. Okay, so let's uh, right now. Uh, China has locked down Shanghai, for example, and uh, just stories are it's a disaster. It is disaster. It's a complete and total disaster. You're talking about 24 million people. Yeah, they've been. They originally told they're going to be locked down for four or five days. They're now into two weeks of lockdown. People are running out of food. Uh, their lockdown is not like any lockdown that we are familiar with. Right. In other words, it's not it's not a lockdown that says you can't go 500 meters from your home. It's not a lockdown where delivery services are allowed to to operate, so you can stay home and sit home, you know, and order from DoorDash or whatever system you have at your, you know, uh, Uber deliveries or whatever it might be. Right. Uh, none of that exists, and so people are running out of food. They're running out of ability to sustain themselves. Um, and, of course, the numbers are fairly high. China has a, has a dual problem, or actually a triple problem, in the sense that, A, not as many people got vaccinated as they would have liked. B, their vaccine doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. And C, since nobody has had COVID, there's no community immunity whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And what it turns out is um, that the current variant, when there is no community um immunity or at all in the community is actually more deadly than uh, than the original COVID. And so China's paying the price in both sides. It's, it, the numbers of deaths have gone up uh, dramatically, and they don't have a way of fighting it because they don't have a decent, like their vaccine doesn't work. And um, the lockdown is, is destroying you know, destroying them. So and it's it's, it's going to have it's going to have ripple effects throughout the globe as well because uh, Shanghai is an important uh, point of uh, distribution and uh, development for uh, products and services. Right. I mean, look, the, the the world economy has changed radically, and we don't really know what the second order effects of all that's going to be. Let's keep in mind what's happened in the last year or two years. Yeah, first of all, COVID and all the lockdowns and all the changes that 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 brought about in the whole world. Then you had, of course, you have the war in Ukraine, where that completely, you know, has, has pushed Russian Russia off the world uh, trading stage, at least in the normal venues. I mean, it's always making alternative venues, and those are taking place, but totally disrupted all of those things. Yeah. And now you have COVID again in China, uh, which is creating its new set of um, of lockdowns and disruptions. And you know, I don't know how it's going to look. Uh, five years from now, because obviously, you know, the, the effect of this is not, I mean, we're going to pay the price right now in gas prices and all sorts of other things, but the real effect we'll only see about five years from now is companies reassess their supply chain and that, and actually implement it, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see higher prices in the whole world. I think we're going to see a move away from something that's been, been developing and strengthening for the last 50 years, which is just-in-time manufacturing. And we're seeing that because even the chip shortage, mm-hmm. which is sort of related to COVID but not completely related to COVID, um, is causing car manufacturers to shut down the assembly plants because they can't get chips. Um, so I think we're going to – and no one kept stock of any of these things because that's not the way businesses have operated. Wall Street has pushed everybody over the last 40, 50 years to be very, very lean on inventory. Um, and, you know, the, the – method of today is just in time get the products in today manufacture them tomorrow and get them out the door the third day right so years years ago companies would have huge warehouses where they kept their raw material right 
And uh, Walmart started that whole movement away from uh, from the storage of uh, materials and uh, said, you know, we'll just distribute things based on what we know and what people will want in the marketplace and not have this big problem of storage. So it worked well for that, but for it's not working for our benefit right now for key materials like uh, like uh, chips for for right. cars so, and so forth. And that gets more problematic, of course, because chips keep on changing. So you wouldn't want to use a chip from two years ago. Right. It was one thing to it was one thing to store steel, let's say, for, you know, buy two years worth of steel so you never run out of steel for the sake of argument. But you can't buy two years worth of chips. Right. Because this year's chip is different than next year's chip, et cetera, et cetera. Mark, I want so to ask you, be, be, before I let you go, I, uh, I do want to ask you about Pakistan and what happened there, because apparently there's been a lack of uh, support for the prime minister in Pakistan. And, uh, right. The prime minister in Pakistan lost support of his parliament. He was going to be ousted by the parliament. He went to the Supreme Court. to He disbanded parliament. Um, the, the, that issue went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said he didn't have the right to disband Parliament, so the Parliament met and ousted him. Um, he's claiming it's all a CIA plot. I'm quite sure it's not a CIA plot. Is it somebody's plot? I don't know enough to be honest with you to, to say. But Pakistan has not had what one would call a stable democracy, basically in any time in its history. So it's hard to see where it goes at this point. Keeping in mind that. Um, Al-Qaeda still has bases in Pakistan. It's a difficult situation. Indeed. And Pakistan has nuclear weapons. Absolutely. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. We do have our differences on occasion, but uh, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Have a great week, everybody. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a refreshing new social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Larry, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are a privately funded think tank and educational organization headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Our focus is on young people of high school and college age. We work to inspire and educate them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, the profit motive, small government, and personal character. And we do that through our website, which is fee, F-E-E dot org, daily fresh commentary there, as well as uh, free videos and online courses and personal events that we host all over the country and sometimes abroad. Yeah, fantastic organization. And if you have a young person in, in your life who's uh, college or high school age, do introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education at fee.org, F-E-E dot org. Larry, you just uh, returned from Bucharest and from around the world. Uh, any thoughts that you could share with us? Well, uh, yes, it was a phenomenal trip for a full week, uh, kind of a whirlwind trip because we covered four countries giving speeches in Athens and Thessaloniki, Greece, and then on to Skopje, uh, North Macedonia, and then uh, Blagovgrad, Bulgaria, and ending up in uh, Bucharest, the capital of Romania. Lots of enthusiastic audiences, and I have to say that even though my preference was to talk on economic matters. Invariably, people's attention turned to what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, in the audiences that my small group spoke to, uh, there was uh, almost unanimous and staunch hostility to what uh, Vladimir Putin is doing there. And, of course, these are countries that are either on the front lines or close to it. And they're very concerned about uh, uh, what he's been doing in, in Ukraine and what the uh, threats might be in the future that he'll pose uh, to perhaps other countries. Well, thank you for that, uh, Larry. And you wrote a piece, uh, Poles and Ukrainians, Brothers in War and Peace. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Yes, uh, there is uh, a monument in Lviv, western Ukraine. That's a city that many Americans have been hearing a lot about lately. It's a uh, a haven for refugees fleeing from the eastern part where most of the war is taking place. It's a uh, stopping off point for a lot of those refugees who move on to places like Poland. And Poland has been uh, the most generous of the frontline countries in this Ukrainian war. Mm. And the most amazing thing to me is, is not what the Polish government uh, is doing, but what Polish civil society is doing, what people voluntarily of their own uh, generosity are doing. Normally, when you see massive waves of refugees, in this case, some four million so far, 
mm. since late February, you see uh, uh, camps where they are uh, uh, concentrated in large numbers in various countries. That's what you normally see, but, but you're not seeing that here because uh, the Polish people, and this is somewhat true, although perhaps on a less grand scale in other countries, but Poland uh, has seen huge numbers of ordinary people opening their homes, their businesses, uh, any space that they may have privately uh, to Ukrainian refugees. It's just a remarkable example of how we don't have to wait for government to make all the decisions. And if we want to help somebody, especially if we're right on the front lines nearby, uh, we can do it. And the Polish people should be applauded mm. for the great courage and generosity they, they've shown. Absolutely. And uh, the culture in Poland is just so so defiant. The independence of, of Polish people, their, their place in history is just truly marked by everything from the what happened during the Second World War and on. But they have just demonstrated great character, haven't they? Yes, they certainly have. There are just endless uh, names in Polish history that deserve to be remembered for their integrity, their courage, uh, their honor. Uh, I wrote about them in this article that you've uh, just referenced, Bob. His name was Adam Mikowicz, mm -hmm. and he was actually not Polish. He was Ukrainian, but he was part of... Uh, when he was born, anyway, uh, of what was known as the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And all over uh, Poland and the Baltic states and Ukraine, there are columns and monuments to this man. One of them is in Lviv in western Ukraine. He was known as one of the greatest Slavic uh, poets that Europe ever produced. But uh, the thing that still causes people today to honor him, especially right now, is that he was a staunch uh, opponent of uh, uh, Russian aggression and domination of Eastern Europe. So, um, so far, the column that is very impressive that sits in Lviv, and which, which was undamaged in the First and Second World Wars, uh, is still standing, and it's a great monument of the brotherhood between Poles and Ukrainians. You know, I was so surprised to see uh, James Fenimore Cooper referenced in your column, uh, of course, the author of Last of the Mohicans, one of my favorite books as a young man. So, uh, But w what's the connection there? Yeah, uh, it's kind of odd when, at first when you think of it. What, what could uh, a man from the middle of the 19th century and from so far away have much to do with um, uh, James Fenimore Cooper, the great literary figure here in America? Uh, Cooper, who wrote uh, The Last of the Mohicans and, and other works, was a passionate lover of liberty. And on one of his travels to Italy, he happened to uh, uh, meet Adam Mikowitz, who was in the country at that time. And the two of them spent the next six weeks traveling around Italy together and talking endlessly about things like uh, individual liberty and uh, things related to that. And Cooper uh, immediately... Uh, showed great respect for Mikiewicz, not only his literary talents, but that passion for liberty. And uh, he acknowledged that uh, Mikiewicz had substantial impact on his own thinking. So two great men, both literary figures and both lovers of freedom and free enterprise, um, 150-plus years ago. Wow, amazing story. And uh, again, just uh, circling back to your initial point, uh, Ukrainians definitely have the support of the Poles in, uh, in this war going on right now, or uh, invasion, I'll call it. 
And uh, we just uh, wish the best for the Ukrainians, the individual citizens, and uh, 4 million being displaced is just an unbelievable story. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. The fee.org is the website, fee.org. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McDegg, a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of some great murder mysteries. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-39. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have this Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired and he began writing novels, some really great murder mysteries. The first, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and now just published, uh, No Problem. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure, Jim. Uh, the, the book is just terrific. I'd just like to acknowledge you for uh, another turn, uh, page turner. Uh, no Problem is just so enjoyable. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you like it. I've, I've been getting a very positive feedback about that book, so I, I have high hopes for it. Uh, we shall see. I think it's easier to sell vacuum cleaners door-to-door than it is to hawk a book. 
<laughs> I have no book, my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know what? The world has been leveled substantially because it used to be to get a book published was unbelievable. You had to find some major outlook, out, uh, you know, a di- distribution center to do it. But now everybody can publish. And unfortunately, great books like yours sometimes don't get the attention they need. So, But I understand what you're saying. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about inflation last week, but right now, just what, can, reflecting on Biden's policies and what's happening right now, it seems to me he's just doubling down on anything that can create inflation. Yeah, I mean, this is election year politics. Uh, we always see the federal government upping its spending uh, during an election year. And this year is no different, except that the magnitude of Biden's spending, which is stealth spending, uh, it, it just boggles the mind. I mean, I, I've, it, it, the release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, of course, which is the largest release in history mm-hmm. since its creation in the 70s, is stealth spending. Uh, and it, it's artificially depressing uh, gasoline prices. I'm a great believer that the market in setting prices can really help squeeze inflation out of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because people, uh, if you if you look at the uh, the driving habits of people now, they haven't changed. But you know, given higher prices, people become much more careful. Sure. Uh, because uh, gasoline prices uh, filter through almost every product in the economy. Uh, it jacks up prices and people become uh, more careful spenders. So uh, what Biden has done is he's he's some kept gasoline prices uh, around four dollars a gallon. They would probably be closer to five dollars a gallon without a release from the reserve. And he's he's still not getting credit for uh, inflation. It's a, it's a it's a double waste of taxpayer money because people. If you look at the polling, he's still wildly unpopular, and, and people uh, blame him uh, rightfully for the higher prices. With, with the well, and I look at it this way. He's, he's basically buying time, and now he's going to end up selling this, uh, this oil that he probably uh, put in reserve. We put into reserves at somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 40 to $60 a barrel, and he's going to replace it with oil that we're going to put, uh, you know, inevitably going to have to replace those reserves with bar- oil that probably will cost more than $100 a barrel. <laughs> Yes, it's good for fossil fuels anyway. Yeah. So, and and, and he's expended uh, the uh, the grace period for people with student loans. They don't have to repay for for you know until after it'll be after the midterm elections. He's not getting any credit for that as well. And and you know it's it's simple psychology. If if you if you're giving something away for free. <laughs> like money, mm-hmm. uh, you can't suddenly cut it off because that would even make matters worse for Biden. So he's essentially uh, paying for his current low polling numbers uh, and, uh, because they otherwise would get much worse if the students had to start repaying their loans. So it's another colossal waste of taxpayer money. Uh, and then I think Republicans will jump on the spending bandwagon as well in the form of uh, defense spending. Yeah. And, and you see, I, and, uh, you know, as, as an investor, I think uh, 
uh, defense companies are, are one hedge against the, the, the coming recession in, in 2023 that I see, because countries around the world are rearming, uh, they're reevaluating their own militaries. They, they see what a colossal disaster the Russian military is, and they're wondering out loud, is our military establishment as flaccid as a bureaucratic uh, as uh, unprepared as uh, the Russian military. Yeah. So, so you see, you see this uh, self-examination around the world, uh, and that will increase spending. And by the way, if if you read uh, like the the Army Times and Defense News, uh, you know all the publications uh, on defense, you you even see that examination in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a uh, three-star general who was in charge of logistics has just lost the star because the uh, army started examining his performance. So, so you, you know, uh, you're going to see a big spike in uh, military spending uh, going forward. This exacerbates inflation as well. Uh, the Fed, it, it just makes the Fed's job much harder because they have to be even more aggressive in raising interest rates to counter all this new liquidity uh, going into the marketplace. And it pretty much makes a soft, the so-called soft landing, a, um, a, an impossibility. Yeah. Um, well, and you think about the, our military is vaccinated and woke. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to well-trained. So it's, uh, I, I shouldn't say they're not all well-trained. Many are, but unfortunately the focus, I think, from leadership is incorrect and uh, only exacerbating the whole problem of inflation. Uh, what do you think of gold as a, as a hedge? Uh, personally, I mean, it's, do, it's doing well. Personally, I've never had luck with gold. <laughs> you know, so, so I don't feel qualified to comment on it. Every time I've invested in it, it's gone down. Ah. Well, it's they, kind of like a stop. It's a stop clock investment. Um, you know, the, the old hawks talk it up for years and years and years, and it doesn't go anyplace. And all of a sudden, you know, they have their moment in the sun. Yeah. So, and that moment in the sun generally is not as uh, long as anticipated. So, oh, you're right. Uh, the, the cycle of gold is is very long and unpredictable. So, but I think uh, over the course of a century, it proves to be a pretty good hedge against inflation. We'll just see how this all plays out. Of course, right in this current cycle right now, it's uh, so interesting. So, uh, Jim. Uh, Unfortunately, I mean, the, the, the president's of the CBS uh, News came out with a uh, poll, and you know it's, it's biased towards uh, liberals, but uh, 42% of people say that uh, they, they think the job that Biden's doing is pretty good. 58% saying it's horrible. So this, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything he can do at this point to affect the outcome of the midterm elections, because it, it seems to me that no matter what he does, he's not changing the uh, the. Uh, impact on polling or the he's not changing the view of the american people no i and and the thing you know we're talking about inflation which we can measure but we can't measure the um the uh backlash against uh, the social programs of the democrats and i'm thinking of the sexual agenda the sexual id agenda they're trying to shove down the throats of the american public and there's going to be a huge backlash. Like, I'm wondering if there'll be an NCAA women's swimming event right before the midterms. I would seal the deal. Uh, but but I think, you know, people with families, with children in the public school systems, are just appalled at the um, 
effort to brainwash their their children and yeah. you know they they uh, especially church going people i mean i mean the uh, curriculum in a lot of these uh, public schools is uh, anti religious and i think uh, you know we've heard about the silent majority in the past i remember the gingrich revolution was pretty much driven by um, uh, the political correctness movement of the 90s this is a repeat and I think it's going to be an unmitigated disaster for Democrats in the midterm, uh, just on social uh, social uh, policy alone. Yeah, uh, from your lips to God's ear. Again, Jim McTagg, get a copy of No Problem. It's a great read, No Problem, by Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow's show as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>